Well, good morning, family. Look around and smile at somebody for a second. You're going to be with them forever in heaven, so make it a good one. (laughs) Welcome this morning. If you're a visitor, it's a pleasure to have you here. But we are in the Father's house this morning. Whose house? Okay, so his rules are, pay attention, (laughs) eyes on him. Show up. You're loved. Doesn't matter where you've been. Doesn't matter what you're up to. Remember the prodigal story? He ran to meet him. So it doesn't matter what your condition is. Come running in. His presence is wide open for you. Word and our sound. We honor you. We say you are our delight. You are our certain hope. And there will come a day where day after day... We will behold you and we will bow in worship. But I'm not waiting till then. We're not waiting till then. You are the king yesterday, today, and forever. And we will honor you. We will honor you. If things are going poorly or things are going well, we're going to honor you. We bless you, Lord. We bless you. We bless you. Well done, family. That was a beautiful moment. Your own heart, your own words. Bless you. We have an extra special, super delightful treat that one of our lovely elders is here, and he gets to speak, and we get to learn because every time he comes, he brings good things. So, where is he? There he is in the front row. (laughs) Did I mention I was struggling here? Everybody welcome, Jim. Well, good morning. Wow, that, um, it always does my heart good when we declare the goodness of God. And uh, declaring the goodness of God is, is absolutely foundational to everything we go through. Um, and, and we're going to have to really, really recognize the bedrock foundation of the goodness of God as we look at, at the life of Joseph a little bit this morning. And this really comes from the fact that about six weeks ago or so, Pastor Mark was preaching and he read a little thing from Psalm 105 in regards to the word testing Joseph. And he said, so Jim should preach on that. And then he went right on. And I thought, well, that sounds like an assignment. <laughs> so I, uh, I picked that up as an assignment. But, you know, one of the, the things that just always, always, always has to be the bedrock of everything we look at is the recognition that God is good, that he defines good. So that any time when our circumstances would call that into question in our lives, what it means is our perspective is wrong. So we can be disappointed in something, but that doesn't mean that God isn't good. We can be in pain. That doesn't mean that God isn't good. It's our perspective that has to come into alignment always with that fundamental, absolute bedrock truth that's unshakable so that anything that comes against that is immediately seen as wrong. So when, when we see something and we can't understand how this, is in, how this is a demonstration of God's goodness, that's because we don't understand. 
That's not because God isn't good, right? So, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, allow us to learn from your word this morning and allow us to just marinate in this truth. And we thank you. We thank you that you are good and that in all things you work them together for good. In Jesus' name. All right. So for those of you who know me, it's not a surprise. We're going to be reading a fair bit of scripture this morning because when I started to dig into this, I was looking at one little thing, but you know what happens sometimes, right? You start reading something and you just get, you just get pulled in. You get stuck. And I actually got some brand new revelation about the story of Joseph. And I thought, now this is crazy. You know, my next birthday is going to have a, a change to that first digit and, uh, and I, it'll be 60, and I have been, you know, reading the Bible really since I was able to read, probably five or six years old, and, and, and then you read something and you think, how come I never saw that before? How come I never saw that? So here we go, and I'm going to, I'm actually probably going to do the show of hands things when we get there just to figure out for how many of us this might be a new, a new way of thinking about it. Probably all the rest of you go out. Duh, at me, and it's only me, but here we go. So Genesis chapter 37, and it says here, and this is NLT, Nikki, okay. So Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan where his father had lived as a foreigner. So this is the account of Jacob and his family. Now when Joseph was 17 years old, so that's a, that's a relevant number in the mix of this, we understand sort of guys are effectively about half-baked at 17. <laughs> They're only slightly better at 23. <laughs> and then something happens at 25, 26. <laughs> and then suddenly, oh, there's a man. Okay, so this is, this is Joseph at 17. Got it? And he often, okay, so you've all seen the internet memes. In fact, I think Matt just posted one this week on the elder brother, middle brother, younger brother thing, right? And, and uh, the oldest brother, you know, when something happens, he's all very responsible and, you know, whatever. And the parents are very strict and whatever. And then, you know, middle brother sort of, yeah, kind of takes it a little easier, but, you know, still quite responsible. And then the, the little brother, the parents baby them. They can get away with absolute murder. You know, they whine and complain about every little thing. Yes, little Kenny Bittner over here, the 12th of 12, um, understands this, this principle. Joseph is actually not the baby, but, but close enough. He's actually the first. He's, he's number 11. Um, and, uh, but he's the first from the wife that Jacob really, really loved. Okay. The, and they did weird stuff weird back then. So, okay. So he, he often tended his father's flocks. So here's the first thing I want us to recognize. Joseph's not actually a spoiled brat who doesn't do anything. He's actually serving Tending the sheep. It's actually a bit of a thankless job, to be honest. I'm not sure he loved it. But he did it, and he did it faithfully. I hadn't really thought of that before. 
He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Billa and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Little tattletale, hey? Except what if he wasn't? It doesn't say what his heart in this was. It doesn't suggest to you that his heart was to get his brothers in trouble and make himself look better by comparison. It doesn't say that. I think that's the way we generally read it because we know about bratty younger brothers. I wish mine was watching because I'd make a comment. Anyway. But actually, it doesn't say that. And I wonder whether Joseph was tattling more because he cared deeply about his father's business. And he recognized that his brothers weren't actually stewarding his father's business really well. And so he actually, because we see further, and we're going to read it, we see further, Joseph was an incredible businessman. Everything he did prospered. Everything turned to gold. Like, honestly, no matter what situation was he, what he was in, first of all, he rose to the top. People put him into positions of responsibility, never the number one, always number two, <laughs> okay? But then he would take stuff on and he would just make it work. What if Joseph was reporting these things not because he was a tattletale little brother, but because actually it mattered to his father's business? I never saw that before. Now, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children. That's a problem. <laughs> and they all knew it. And that's a problem. Because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Joseph, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. All right, one night, Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you'll be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. And soon Joseph had another dream, and again he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. Oh, good. They all, no. Um, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. This time he told his dream to his father as well as to his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of a dream is that? He asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. So here's where I started to see this totally different, and that's why I pointed out a couple of other odd things about maybe Joseph isn't quite who we thought he was. Why did Joseph tell his brothers his dreams? Because he was arrogant? 
because he was so full of himself that he want. Well, that's the way I've always read it. I've always read it that he was a 17 year old little kid full of him or little teenager full of himself and, you know, kind of lording it over. Woohoo, woohoo, dad loves me best and you guys are going to bow. But what if Joseph was actually a prophet? Oh, wait a minute. Joseph was a prophet. We see that repeatedly thereafter. What if Joseph was just being accountable to the word of God that was given to him? Okay, how many of you have thought that before? Good. I'm not, oh, Heather. But, okay, so Heather's ahead of me. <laughs> I never saw that before. But we'll see it in Psalm 105. We, we, we will recognize that this is actually the case. Joseph is telling his brothers the dreams not because he's lording it over them, but because he had them. He had the dreams. God told him. How many of us would be willing to say something incredibly unpopular that God told us? To those who already don't like us very much. Joseph actually stepped out and did. Uh, this, is a, this is a maybe, okay? I'm not, I'm not creating new doctrine here necessarily, although I have this sense in my spirit that there's some real, there's some real meat here. So Joseph got the word of the Lord. He was faithful to speak the word of the Lord, even though it was incredibly unpopular. And as we see what goes on after this, so Verse 12, soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. And when they'd been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, hey, your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Get ready, and I will send you to them. Ah, I don't want to have to go. No, none of that. There's no whiny 17-year-old here who just doesn't, I'm, I'm having fun at home. Why are you sending? No, he says, I'm ready to go. Joseph replied, Go and see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along, Jacob said, and then come back and bring me a report. So Jacob sent him on his way, and Joseph traveled to Shechem from their home in the valley of Hebron. And when he arrived there, a man from the area noticed him wandering around the countryside. And he said, what are you looking for? I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph replied. Do you know where they're pasturing their sheep? Yeah, the man told him. They've moved on from here, but I heard them say, let's go on to Dothan. So jo Joseph followed his brothers to Dothan and found them there. So again, well, we're seeing a little bit of a different picture of Joseph. So here's a guy who, as soon as his father wants to send him on this thing, he, he, yeah, I'm ready to go. And then he's quite diligent in it. He goes to the place where they're supposed to be, and they're not there. And so he doesn't go home and think, oh, I couldn't find them. <laughs> he wanders around. He, he looks for them. This could have been a couple of days, okay, until he finds somebody, asks for some help. He's not a full man yet. He, he, he asked for directions. I mean, come on. If he was 25, that's not happening. Anyway, and then he finds his brothers. And he found them there. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. And as he approached, they made plans to kill him. <laughs> wow. You think you have family issues. <laughs> Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns, and we can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Interesting, hey? Yeah. 
So Joseph has the word of the Lord that comes into his life. His brothers are coming against the word of the Lord explicitly, which they wouldn't have done if he would never said it. But when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Reuben's the oldest brother. He says, ah, let's not kill him. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying our hands on him. Uh, Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing, and then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now, the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming towards them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders, which, you know, Ishmaelite traders, these are their second cousins, okay? Um, It was a group of Ishmaelite traders, because Ishmael, of course, was the brother of Isaac, and so he was their great uncle. Um, And they were taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, this is, this is kind of hilarious. He says, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. We'd have to cover it up if we kill him. But if we sell him, we don't have to cover anything up. I think Judah was seeing money is what he was seeing. If we kill him, we don't get any dollars. If we kill him, or he's gone. Ugh. If we sell him, we get cash. And we're not telling dad anyway, so we get to keep it. We'd have to cover up the crime. So instead of hurting him, let's sell him to these Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. So we shouldn't kill him. We'll just sell him into slavery. (laughs) And his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt. Okay, so this is phase one of Joseph's life. But this was, as I said, when I, when I began reading this this week in, in, in preparation, I, I was seeing a completely different Joseph than I've ever seen before. I was seeing a young man who is a prophet, who's getting dreams from the Lord, who's, who's actually faithful to speak those dreams and to hold them and to believe them and to not let go of them, even when it's incredibly unpopular. I'm seeing a young man who's serving his father and actually wanting what's best for his father's business uh, to the level where he's willing to do unpopular things to try and overcome things that are not going properly. Very, very different. If we jump down to verse 36, um, in fact, let's just go, it, it, it doesn't really matter. We could, it, yeah, we'll go to chapter 39, verse 1, because all of a sudden in the middle of the story of Joseph, we have a bit of a story about Judah. Okay, and then, and then we jump, so we'll skip a chapter. And it says, when Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. And Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So here we go. Joseph is now a slave. 17 years old. He's a slave in the house of an Egyptian officer. So he spends his every waking moment trying to figure out how to escape. No, not so much. It's not what it says. What it says here is the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he 
served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph. What did Potiphar realize? This is an Egyptian serving probably on. On being the god of the Egyptians at that point. There was Ra, there was On. And he notices that the Lord in capital letters is with Joseph because of Joseph's attitude and because God is blessing what he's doing. This giving him success in everything he did. So this pleased Potiphar. So he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. Joseph did know how to do this. And God blessed him, but he gave him wisdom. He gave him insight into what to do, and his businesses flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing, except what kind of food to eat. How many of you would like that job? I got really nothing to do today other than figure out what I should eat. Hmm. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man, and Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph, by now probably 18 or 19, he refused. So here, this is not this young man all full of himself thinking that he's really all that, right? Right? Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Interesting. So he's, he's understanding this. He's actually understanding that there's a call on his life And that, honestly, he doesn't want to sin against God. So she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her. And he kept out of her way as much as possible. There's a scripture that says, make no provision for the flesh, right? So Joseph, he recognized, if I I don't want to fall here, I want to just not be where she is, period. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, Come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away. But he left his cloak in her hand as he did what? He ran from the house. You know, here's a great picture. You know, when when sin comes knocking, do we play with it a little bit? Think about it a little bit. Consider it a little bit. I think there's a great picture here. He ran. <laughs> it's like, yeah, out. You know, he didn't, he didn't sit there and kind of try and fight her off and feel good about himself that this, this amazing woman has, you know, got the hots for me and blah, blah. No, he ran. He just took off. He ran, right? When she saw that she was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to the servants, 
Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left his cloak behind with me. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. Then she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. Well, Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. I've often wondered whether Potiphar was madder at Joseph or madder sort of at his wife, but knowing that there's no way he could keep Joseph around. I I have a feeling he wasn't actually that blind. Could be. But he took Joseph and he threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And when the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden, or and the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden, before long, here we go, the, jo- the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. And the warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. <laughs> Seeing a bit of a pattern here, right? The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. And then there's a story of the, 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 the two, uh, uh, you know what, I'll read it, won't take that long. So here we go. Sometime later, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and the chief baker offended their royal master. Pharaoh became angry with these two officials, and he put them in the prison where Joseph was, in the palace of the captain of the guard. They remained in prison for quite some time. So no, Joseph was there that whole quite some time. And the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, who looked after them, because that's what he does. While they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night, and each dream had its own meaning. And when Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. Why do you look so worried today, he asked them. So he's also very aware, right? Like Joseph, he's, he's just aware. That's why the business stuff is working so good for him all the time, too. He just he sees stuff. He's aware of what's going on, except for his brothers. Oh, well... He said, why do you look so worried today? And they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Oh, well, interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. Okay, so when I read that, I realized something. Joseph actually knew that interpreting dreams was God's business. Which one about Joseph already had an interpretation for the dreams he'd had as well? Now, I think they all saw the, you know, the 11 sheaves bowing down and the sun and the moon and the stars. But I, I think everybody kind of figured out that that's, that's the, the basic interpretation is the family. But I'm willing to bet that Joseph understood it deeper because he knew that God gives interpretations of dreams. So he said, go ahead and tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream first. And then we go to verse 12. This is what the dream means, Joseph said. The three branches represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position as his chief cupbearer. And please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Do you notice that Joseph at no point held ransom the the interpretation of the dream? He didn't make them pay. He didn't actually make them promise first. Okay, I'll help you, but only if there was none of that. 
He was actually about the Lord's business, doing it the Lord's way, and he wasn't looking for his own personal advantage in it. Now, he did put in a plug afterwards. So he said, hey, so do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place. For I was kidnapped from a homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison, but I didn't do anything to deserve it. And he was correct. Now, of course, if you're the chief baker and you've just heard this wonderful news that your buddy over here is going to get all restored to his position, you go, phew, that's great. So here's my dream. And he tells him, uh, because the chief baker saw that Joseph had given the first dream such a positive interpretation, he said to Joseph, I had a dream too. And, And then verse 18, this is what the dream means, Joseph told him. The three baskets also represent three days. Three days from now, Pharaoh will lift you up and impale your body on a pole. Then the birds will come and peck away at your flesh. This is what prophets do sometimes. (laughs) They tell you precisely what they saw, whether or not you like it. At least the ones who are listening to the Lord. It doesn't show him sugarcoating this a whole lot. It doesn't show him giving him any wiggle room. You know, maybe if you, maybe, no, none of that. He just kind of said what it is. Then if we go to chapter 41, verse 1, the first words, they hurt. Two full years later, Pharaoh dreamed, dot, dot, dot. So another two years goes by with Joseph in prison. You think by now he's getting bitter and questioning God? But he's not. Because he knows the word. He knows that that word's not fulfilled yet. It's going to be. So the next morning, uh, this is verse 8, the next morning Pharaoh was very disturbed by the dreams. So he called for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt, and when Pharaoh told them his dreams, not one of them could tell him what it meant. Finally, the king's chief cupbearer spoke up. Ah, today I've been reminded of my failure, he told Pharaoh. Some time ago, two and a half years, you were angry with the chief baker and me, and you imprisoned us in the palace of the captain of the guard. And one night, the chief baker and I each had a dream, and each dream had its own meaning. Verse 12, there was a young Hebrew man with us in the prison who was a slave of the captain of the guard. So Joseph is still in this position. He is serving as a slave. And do you know when you serve as a slave, there's no personal advantage in it. Every penny of profit that you generate accrues to the master. I mean, maybe there's good treatment or or something, but at the end of the day, there's no profit. A slave does what they're told and hopefully to the best of their ability. He's a slave of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams and he told us what each of our dreams meant and everything happened just as he had predicted. I was restored to my position as cupbearer and the chief baker was executed and impaled on a pole. Sometimes our prison system doesn't sound quite so bad. (laughs) So Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once, and he was quickly brought from the prison. And after he shaved and changed his clothes, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. He probably had to learn how to shave in prison, eh? Um, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night, and no one here can tell me what it means. But I've heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. Oh, says Joseph in verse 16. It's beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied. But God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. So again, who's getting the credit here? And is Joseph saying, is is he bartering here? 
Is there any barter going on? Is there any? No, he's just, he's stewarding the word of God. So he said, it's beyond my power to do this, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. So Pharaoh told Joseph his dream. And we'll skip over the the details of the dream. Verse 25, Joseph responded, well, both of Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God's telling Pharaoh in advance what he's about to do. The seven healthy cows and the seven healthy heads of grain both represent seven years of prosperity. The seven thin scrawny cows that came up later and the seven thin heads of grain withered by the east wind represent seven years of famine. And this will happen just as I have described it for God has revealed to Pharaoh, he's still not taking any credit, in advance what he's about to do. The next seven years will be a period of great prosperity throughout the land of Egypt, and afterwards there will be seven years of famine, so great that all the prosperity will be forgotten. And, and uh, verse th- uh, 32 is interesting. He says, as for having two similar dreams, it means that these events have been decreed by God, and he will soon make them happen. So there's no ifs, ands, or buts here. There's nothing to do one way or another to prevent this thing. This is a decree from God. It's going to happen, and it's going to happen soon. So down in verse 37, it says, Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, hey, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Now remember, these were not people who served the God of Israel. These were people who were served who served on and served raw, okay? This was the Pharaoh who, frankly, called himself a god. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders from you, and only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. And if we go down to 43, the last half, it says, and wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, kneel down. So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all Egypt, and Pharaoh said to him, I am Pharaoh, but no one will lift a hand or foot in the entire land of Egypt without your approval. So as Joseph traveled now, everybody had to kneel when he went by. Interesting. So now we start to see that word coming to fruition you know, it was the sun and moon and 11 stars, but really, it's, it's everybody. When Joseph goes by in a chariot now, because now he's wearing good clothes and he's in a chariot, there's runners out front going, kneel down, it's Joseph. Hmm. And then down in verse 51, um, so Joseph gets married. By the way, <laughs> Pharaoh marries him to the daughter of the priest of On. Okay? So... Uh, her, and and her, her name, interestingly enough, is Potiphera. So he had Potiphar, and now he has Potiphera, who is now his wife. And, uh, and now they've had two kids. And uh, it says here, Joseph named his older son Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. So Manasseh, he's really saying, actually, you know what? God has worked this all out, and I'm okay now. I'm, I'm actually in a good place. I'm okay. And he named his second son Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. So it's, it's very clear that this was the land of his grief, right? Like that Joseph, he did not love being a slave. 
That wasn't his favorite idea. He didn't love having been taken away from his family and living in a, in a strange land. That wasn't his favorite idea. It was a land of grief. But God has restored it now. God has made it okay. Well, okay. So we know what happens later, right? So now there's this famine that Joseph has, has been able to interpret the dream on. And, and so there we go. We know this famine's happening. And we're only two years into the famine, and by now, by the way, Joseph's 30. So just, if you, if you recognize just how much time this has all taken, from 17 to 30. So this has been a 13-year process to get, to get from, you know, walking out with the sheep and, and meeting his brothers to the place where now he's, you know, he's into the, the famine uh, period. You're two years in, and already Jacob and the brothers are out of grain. I don't have any more. <clears throat> They've got other things. They've got livestock and whatever, but they're out of grain, and they need to come and buy some grain. And so they do. They show up to buy grain. At least the brothers do. Ten of them. And so they come, and they come to buy grain, and Joseph, who uh, this is amazing to me. I mean, he's, he's uh, in charge of an entire administration of this grain, but he becomes aware of his brothers immediately. So the, the level to which he had capacity to manage is incredible. Like the, the fact that he could know the details of who was buying grain and whatever. But here we are because everybody was. I mean, nobody had grain. The entire land of, of Egypt ended up by the end of this famine. They were all owned by Pharaoh. <laughs> he bought them all. All of his people, he bought them as slaves so that, I mean, because that was the only thing they had left to sell was themselves to buy grain. So by the end of all this, this is a very different time. I'm not sure it was a great idea, but <laughs> at any rate, the bottom line was, you know, Joseph was aware of tons of stuff going on. And the brothers come in, and when they get called in front of Joseph, oh, they bow. Let me tell you, they bow. They need, they need grain. And Joseph tests them, but he doesn't look for revenge. He does send them away uh, with a demand that they bring his little full brother, Benjamin, back with them. The next time, and he holds on to one of the brothers, Simeon, stays, and uh, to sort of as a hostage to get him back, although I, it, it does appear that he's really quite well treated during the period that they go back home. And they come back and he tests them again. And why does he test them? Well, he tests them because he wants to know where their hearts are, in particularly in relation to their dad and to their little brother Benjamin, because he, he recognizes what happened to him. Now, um, and, and he wants to know, are they, are they just going to do the same kind of thing again? At which point, you know, I'm going to, frankly, I think it was his heart to protect his dad and to protect his little brother, frankly. Um, so he tests them, and they, but... They, they pass. Their hearts have changed over the time. So then he reveals himself. So this is Genesis 45, verses, uh, starting verse 3. And he says, I'm Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer. And he said again, I'm Joseph, your brother, who you sold into slavery in Egypt. But here's the key. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves. So he says, don't even, don't even take on guilt here. Don't, don't do that. 
That's not the point for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he's the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. Good grief. So again, there's no sense in Joseph of, of revenge and of upset. And what he's, In fact, he's telling them, don't feel guilty. They were horrible. They sold their brother into slavery. It was horrible. He didn't even ask for an apology. Because he's, he, he recognized this is, the, this is the outworking of the word of God in my life. And frankly, I needed to be prepared. So by the time I got this job, I was ready for it. You know, all that, all that work he did with Potiphar and Potiphar's household. Remember, he was like 19 at the beginning of that. 18, 19. And he was, he was learning. He was understanding how to do business. He was understanding how to manage. He was understanding how to work with people. Then when he was in the prison, and he was there for quite a while, similar deal. Like, and he even learned how to work with you know, criminals, with, with tough folks, with you know, whatever, um, with people who maybe you know, weren't that interested in following the rules, etc. And he, he actually learned all that, and he was being prepared and, and readied. Did it feel like that to him at the time? I don't think so. It wasn't a tutor. He wasn't in school being trained. He was in prison. Now, here's an interesting thing. So when Jacob dies, <laughs> it's funny, the brothers are again quite worried about, uh-oh, dad's gone now. Now what's Joseph going to do to us? They're still, they've got such guilty consciences. They really do. They, 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 you know, we're years later now. Um, I believe it was 17 years that Jacob lived after they came back. So, I mean, it's another 17 years they've been living and growing and having kids and, and grandkids and whatever. And now dad's gone and they're all worried again. Uh-oh, what's going to happen? And in fact, even Jacob was a little bit. So um, Genesis 50, starting in verse 14, says, After burying Jacob, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had accompanied him to his father's burial. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him, they said. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you. So here's the apology now. 17 years later, we finally have an apology showing up. And for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of God, of, your, of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. And I don't think he was weeping because he was so happy to receive an apology. I think he was weeping because he's so, you know, upset that they, or, or so, um, what would you call that? I mean, upset at, at the level of just in turmoil over the fact that they still don't get it. Like, after all this time, they still don't get it. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. And Joseph said, replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? How many of us feel that way when somebody's wronged us? You know, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? 
You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. And the thing that all of that kind of brings us to, I think, uh, Nikki, this is where, uh, if you could go to the NKJV, because it's got the, the, the wording in Psalm 105, verse 16. It says here, this is, this, is, uh, this is talking, it's a psalm that's talking about things God has done, okay, through people. And, and starting in verse 16, he says, Moreover, he called for a famine in the land. He destroyed all the provision of bread. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. So the word of the Lord tested him. Now that word tested, if we go into the, the, the meanings of the words in the, in the Hebrew there, it, it also means proven, but the kind of proving like you, 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 you prove gold by refining it again and again. Okay? It, it becomes perfected. It becomes proven. Okay, so that's that's the same root as this word tested him. What word tested Joseph? All the way back to the beginning, all the way back to the beginning, the word that said that his brothers and his parents would be bowing before him. He had to hold on to that while he was a slave in Potiphar's house. Man, that doesn't sound like everybody bowing before me now does it he had to hold on to it and then and then it gets better he gets thrown in prison instead so instead of being a slave in a senior official's house now i'm in prison he had to hold on to it this is the testing that he went through and i gotta say uh, by the way, there's, there's lots of places in the Bible where, where there's testing, okay? Like in, in Judges, for example, it talks about these are the nations that the Lord left in the land to test those Israelites who had not experienced the wars in Canaan. Like God does these tests. But if God knows everything, he is omniscient. He already knows how much faith you have. <laughs> he knows the strength of it. He knows, you know, what you're going to do even with it. Who's the test for? Think about it, right? This test is for us. The testing isn't because he wants to know. The testing is because we need to know. And, and here's where it gets exciting, actually. James 1, 2 to 4. Uh, now, did I write that one down? Yeah, okay. So it says here, Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect or proven result, that you may be perfect, proven, complete, lacking in nothing. Do you want to lack in nothing? Does that sound like a good place to be, where we're lacking in nothing? Do you know how, what it takes to get there? Testing of your faith. 
That's what produces the endurance that will lead to you being proven and lacking in nothing. If there's no testing, I'm telling you right now, if the only exercise I ever do is this, just like you're seeing right now, then you get about the size of bicep that I have today. Because <laughs> I'm not pushing against any resistance here. But give me some resistance. Put a 10-pound dumbbell on my arm here, and we do this a bunch of times every day. And I'm pushing against resistance. And when I push against resistance, what does it do? Well, it builds endurance. It builds muscle. It even builds muscle mass. It would look a little silly if I only did it with one arm, but <laughs> you, 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 you get the idea here that it is, it is pushing against endurance that causes, or against resistance, sorry, that causes endurance. And it's endurance that perfects our faith so that we will lack in nothing. So the testing, what, what word do you have? Joseph, by the way, did not have the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? And yet he held on to the word. Joseph did not have the story of Joseph. And yet he held on to the word. So what word do we have? We have every promise in the Bible. And we have every word that he has prophetically dropped into our hearts or delivered to us. And the testing of that word is really whether we will hold it. Will we steward it? Will we give up on it and just assume, well, that was goofy. Clearly a pizza dream some time ago. Or will we say, no, I, no, I, have, a, I have a word. Like, this is, this is still going to happen. I don't know how. I don't know where it is. And will we recognize throughout it all that God is good? When we're sold into slavery, God is good. When we're thrown in prison, God is good. And he will work these things for good. Romans, he didn't have Romans 8.28 either. We do. It was still true, by the way. It just wasn't written down. He didn't complain. He didn't barter. He didn't trade. He didn't, he didn't try and weasel out of things. He walked through it. So we will be tested by the word, what's written in the Bible, what's revealed by the Spirit. I pray that our faith would be like Joseph's and that would be, it would be proved genuine and result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed, which is uh, 1 Peter 1, seven, which says that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And you notice how Pharaoh was giving honor to God because Joseph held on to the word and fulfilled it. And that's what happens as we do, is that it produces praise. It produces honor, not just in our lives, but in the lives of people around it, us. So Lord, we thank you so much that you have given your word, that we have access 
to so much in terms of your promises, in terms of your direction. Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who reveals your word, your rhema word each day. Lord, I ask that each one of us would be convicted to hold that word, even through the testing of the word. That even when the word tests us, because it gives us a promise that we can't somehow even hold on to or believe, that you would grant us the ability to walk in faith and to hold that. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.